0: Welcome to the Managing Miscarriage Podcast. I am Melissa Whitman, founder of the nonprofit One Generation and our current initiative, Managing Miscarriage. We help women through the heartbreak of miscarriage, and as a nonprofit, we run completely on donations. Our services help thousands of women, so please support us by donating through our website, managingmiscarriage.com or visit our Patreon page for over 30 more miscarriage stories as well as exclusive content. Check it out at patreon.com/miscarriage. That's p a t r e o n.com/miscarriage. It's also linked in the details below. Thank you for tuning in. Rachel's joining me today from Melbourne to talk to us about her two miscarriages. The first one was around nine to 10 weeks. And the second one was at 10 weeks. One was last April. So just a year ago, that'll be really interesting to touch on. And Mm -hmm. the second one was just this past January. Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited that you're joining us, Rachel. Thank you. you. (laughs) Take us to the beginning of this journey for you.
1: Sure. So, um, My husband and I got married January last year um, and we decided that we would start trying straight away because a lot of our friends had taken a few months. So we started um, trying and fell pregnant um, immediately. Um, Everything seemed to be going fine. Um, At about six weeks, I had a, a a little bit of spotting. And to me it felt like a huge amount of blood. So I rushed to the doctors, freaking out, and the doctor asked how much and he said, look, it's just a small amount of spotting. Um, It's actually fine. Don't worry about it. Um, He examined me and said that everything looked normal. There was nothing to worry about. Um, My cervix was closed. There was no more blood. But he booked me in for an ultrasound the following day. So we went in and had the ultrasound and it showed – a small hemorrhage around the amniotic sac, but they said that would explain a small amount of spotting. But that everything looked normal, it had everything that it needed, except it was perhaps five and a half and not six weeks along. Okay, so it yeah. okay, yeah, exactly, yeah, totally. So the doctor went, Don't worry about it, you don't really know when you're ovulating if you're not checking, that's perfectly normal, it's just a few days, so it's perfectly common. Move on. So that was fine. And then he just said, um, if you do get any actual bright red blood, that's when you should go straight to the doctor. But if you get a little bit of spotting perhaps after intercourse or something like that, it's it's perfectly normal. So don't panic. So we had no pain. Um, There was once a little bit of spotting after intercourse, like the doctor said, but it was just straight after and that was it. And then um, about three more weeks passed. So we're about nine weeks now. Yep, nine, nine and a bit. And um, I came home from work and I could feel something wet in my underwear. Yeah, like when you've gotten your lady time. And I went to the bathroom and it was bright red blood. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but it was only – I feel like I'm going to give you too much information in this podcast. Oh, that's fine (laughs) because everyone listening has been there. (laughs) Good. But it was just um, two wipes. I wiped twice and then it was gone and we rushed to the hospital anyway and then even then no no blood nothing not even a spot so they examined me there and said same thing cervix is closed there's no blood up there perhaps it was a bit of a leftover blood from your hemorrhage your hCG levels seem pretty normal but come back in the morning and see the epac team which is the do you have those there the early pregnancy assessment clinics in the hospitals um, had I don't them- think so. Yeah, we have little special units in the hospitals that's for the like before twelve weeks.
0: Oh, how wonderful! No, oh, yeah. I feel like we're just left alone. Like, sorry, see you at twelve weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah. The EPAC. So we came back. They just start them. I think at seven in the morning. So we got back first thing in the morning, and they did an ultrasound. And the doctor, this was what made it so hard. That was so lovely. And he turned to us, not the doctor, the ultrasound technician. And he said, um, we'll totally get a heartbeat today. Are you ready to meet your baby? And we're like, <gasps> yeah. And he started the ultrasound and then he just stood up, walked out and got the doctor. So, oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we knew something was wrong. And then she came in and they kept looking and looking and looking and looking. And then she went, oh. And she said, we had trouble even finding your amniotic sac. So she said, it's just an empty little crumpled sack now and that was it there wasn't so there was nothing left even so we had to then go through all of our paperwork and find out ultrasound explaining the fetal pole and the yolk sac and, the, and the, everything that we had for them to put us down as that we had had a missed miscarriage
0: oh because they didn't see any of it the second time it's exactly. almost like they i don't want to say didn't believe you but they're like well we don't see anything
1: Yes, because afterwards they're really lovely, and they take you into their office and explain it all and She said it's just unusual for me to have continued carrying it when it's it's totally perished, right, yeah, so she said it's odd that you haven't um gone into miscarriage, and mm-hmm. then um I took her in the notice from the hospital the night before, and she said that it's because I'd continued to con to um make HCG hormones. So I'd continued with the pregnancy, even though, yeah, the little baby had, it had, yeah, completely perished inside. So it's a bit sad.
0: Yes. And how were you feeling during this time? Were you nauseous at all? Tired?
1: Yeah. The first one, I was really, really tired and I was mildly nauseated. But if I look back now, I think my nausea eased off maybe the last two weeks. I don't know if that has anything to do with that. It should have increased more and it didn't. Like maybe I was losing some symptoms. Hmm. Mm.
0: It's so tricky because everything can be normal and everything can, you know, the same thing can be a sign of miscarriage.
1: That's what makes It, it so hard for us. Exactly. Well, I had actually Googled it at the time and I mentioned it to my doctor, who's amazing. And he was my mother's doctor when she was pregnant with me. And he just said, if you're pregnant and your nausea is easing off, you shouldn't be complaining about it. Just be happy. He's like, it's up and (laughs) down. It's all there. Don't stop complaining. Yeah. So, yeah. And he said, it's normal. They come and go. The human body does all sorts of strange things when you're pregnant. So just don't worry. And he kept telling me, don't Google it, which I kept doing. Oh, of course. Uh. (laughs) But I did keep finding on the internet that some women have it come and go. So I didn't worry about it.
0: And you're being told not to worry about it. Okay. okay. So you're in there with this early pregnancy team, which is mm-hmm. so awesome.
1: Yeah. Then what? What did they tell you? What options did they give you? Sure. So they said um, there's a few options. So I can do the wait and see option, which they felt was, wasn't was a goer because I wasn't doing it myself anyway. Right. They said I can be admitted into hospital and take a pill and pass it in hospital um but they said about half of the ladies that do that won't completely pass it all in hospital and then you'll need to possibly come back for a dnc and then she said the final option which they felt was the best for me was a dnc because they really felt even with the medication it was quite likely I wouldn't pass it on my own and because I had had some of leftover things in there they were concerned about the infection so we had the dnc and how did that go for you um, the DNC, the first time I decided not to take, um, any Panadol when they gave me these tablets, they give you tablets to put under your tongue and it dilates your cervix. Um, and then they got really busy and I couldn't ask for Panadol after that. And I ended up, um, I couldn't sit down cause I was in too much pain, I guess from the dilation. And then, then I'm having to wheel me out into the theater. It was a bit, <laughs> it was a bit embarrassing, but. Um, If anyone's getting one, take the Panadol straight away when they give you the dilation tablets. I did that the second time and it was worth it. And then um, everyone was absolutely lovely to me. I couldn't complain about how caring and gentle everyone was with me. And I went through and I had the general for mine. Um, I've heard people thinking that they haven't had generals, but I'm pretty sure here anyway it's all done through uh, full general um and then afterwards you're in the little waiting room and I just felt like I had really deep period pain really uncomfortable deep period pain but they give you um painkillers while you've still got the drip in and considering what it was for it wasn't um as bad and scary as I thought it was going to be yeah okay and how was
0: the recovery for you then
1: Uh, The recovery first time around was really good. Um, I came home and my husband bought me balloons and teddy bears and a teddy bear and uh, wine, which was good. And (laughs) (laughs) I had that the next day. And um, I recovered really well the first time. Physically, I stopped bleeding. I had spotting for maybe two or three days and then that was it. Um, I went to the doctors for my two-week follow-up and she said I was ovulating then. So she said, it's great. Your body's just picked it back up again. Um, emotionally I was struggling a bit the first time, I think, cause it was my first pregnancy. I felt like, cause I didn't really know what I was doing. I felt maybe I'd done something wrong or, okay. you know, maybe, yeah, maybe I shouldn't, um, have had a morning coffee until five weeks, things like that, that I would get. Maybe it was something that I did, but I don't, it wasn't.
0: No, but it, we still think through it. Yeah. yeah, Tough. Yeah. Okay. And that, I mean, you said that was April 2018, so that was a year ago. Yeah. What did that feel like coming into this April? Did Did you have any thoughts about it? Was it more like, oh, that happened, or was
1: it really strong emotions? No, I did even um, just November, December, because we're a bit confused by the dates, but when it came up to that time I was thinking I would be finishing work now because I would be right. going to return. Yeah, and then – when December was about to come because I think at first we thought around the 5th of December it would be due like the baby would be being born now. So that was really sad. Um, And April this year has been sad because we've just lost the other one a few months ago and now exactly Mm -hmm. we come into April and we're thinking this all happened a year ago. We've realised now it's a full circle, like we've just come back to exactly a year and, yeah, in the past 12 months we've lost two, which is quite sad. Oh, it's just awful. Yeah,
0: yeah. So what about the second one? Do You guys yeah. you were ovulating again right away, which, you know, your body kind of yeah. took things back over.
1: And then what? Yeah, so my body picked it up really well, but um, we weren't able – we were trying for about five months to get pregnant. And we weren't having any success, which isn't bad, bad. But I went to the doctors and just said, I'm probably really anxious. And it was because I had this feeling of that I wanted to get back what I had. Like I just – I knew that I couldn't have the same baby but I just felt like I was missing out and it was the same thing. It was getting closer to December and, yeah, I thought my whole life was going to change and I was going to become a mother and then I was just dropped back into reality and I'm just not a mum anymore. So I was really trying to pick up that feeling and fall pregnant again and continue with, yeah, trying to have a family And so I went to the doctor and bless him, he said, I'm just going to put on here you've been trying for 12 months so that you can go to a fertility specialist, which he wasn't meant to do. (laughs) So I went to the specialist and I had a whole heap of blood tests done and they said, look, you're ovulating and you're ovulating on time. Everything seems fine. I'll give you a referral to have some tests done where they check your fallopian tubes and your uterus and some sperm testing for your husband. So we took that and she said, but the best thing I can offer you to do right now, because you have to have the, my test done between, I think, five and 12 days of your cycle after you've had your period.
0: Okay.
1: So she said, just get a dip test that you can buy online or at the pharmacy. And it's to test when you ovulate. So we did that. And I was ovulating only a few days after I saw her. Um, and we found out that we got pregnant that first time after we just didn't know when I was ovulating so I ovulate. yeah I ovulated day 17 so we were starting to try maybe a couple of days before 14 and then we stopped so we were just doing it all wrong (laughs) okay
0: which is common that can happen
1: yeah exactly and we actually found out um on December 5th I did the um at home pregnancy test and that was the date that the last baby roughly was due. We put it down as December 5th and that was when we found out we were pregnant with our second one. Oh, so that must
0: I know if that were me I'd be like, oh this is this is so good. Yeah I'm what like it? it's a
1: sign. See? Yeah. It's meant to be. I'm like everything works out, hun. That's what I say to my husband. I'm like, see yeah. everything works out. This is all gonna be fine. It's a sign. But it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, so we so that was our second pregnancy, and then, um everything with the second one was just absolutely amazing. um I was extremely anxious the second time around, so oh I my gosh got- that let's let's just pause
0: to talk about that anxiety for a second after you've had a miscarriage. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. pregnancy after miscarriage is no joke
1: no joke um i I read up on everything that I could do. So I was doing things like I wanted to make sure I slept with socks on so my uterus was warm and um I was drinking three litres of water a day and I had no caffeine and I had um no preservative juices with preservatives, I had no added sugar, I had I did absolutely um I went overboard and I um even here I don't I think you have jumba juice. I think I had a jumba juice there when I was in America and we have boost juices here. And I'd read some woman said you shouldn't have boost juice because even though it's good for you, you don't know if they froze you bananas or not. So I stopped having boost juice. (laughs) Well, it's a control thing. Yeah, it's It's a control thing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I'm like, I can control this and I'm going to do 100% of everything in my power to make sure this pregnancy is absolutely perfect. So I was doing my little walk in the morning at gym on my treadmill, a little brisk walk, and I was doing all the proper stretches and, I stopped doing um, all exercises that had anything to do with my stomach, even though the doctor said, that's fine. You can continue doing that. You're only, yeah, seven weeks pregnant. But I stopped all of that because I got so, yeah, I really was horrifically anxious. And then um, we had an ultrasound at six weeks and that came up really good. Heartbeat was fine. Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah, heartbeat was fine. Everything was good. My HCG levels were really high. At six weeks, I was actually measuring about eight weeks. And the doctor went, that's great. If you're ahead, there's nothing wrong with that. This is fantastic. And he was really comforting me going, you know, Rachel, this one's going to stick. It's very, very rare for you to have two consecutive miscarriages. And then he said, and if you had two missed miscarriages in a row, I I wouldn't even know if that would be on the chart. Like it's, this is, you know, this one's going to stick. It's going to be fine. So then everything continued fine. I was pretty much nauseous all the time. I felt sick and I was tired all the time. So yeah, I knew that I was, I felt it was a sign that I was doing better because I just felt queasy and tired and cruddy. And we got to about two or three days before my 10 week ultrasound. I booked a second one because I was having, um, it's called, I think an NIPT blood test, which is for any abnormalities. Um, and I was so paranoid from the first one. I just wanted to make sure through blood work that everything was fine this time. Um, and a couple of days before I started feeling, um, more unwell than normal. And I had to go to the toilet, uh, like a lot, a lot. I had a lot of bowel movements and I was unwell for a couple of days. So started panicking. And how far along we- were you at this point? I was, uh, about nine and a half weeks. Okay. So I went to the doctor's. He checked me out and said, look, you've eat, probably eaten something, um, but just stay really hydrated and just in case just uh, maybe don't really have much contact with Andrew and, you know, be careful to be careful with all that stuff because it maybe it's a stomach flu sort of thing and it could be contagious. Um, so I got really worried and I said, I need a stool sample and I need blood work done and I need this and this. And he's like, look, it's probably just like you ate. Just make sure you stay hydrated. It'll be fine. It, this is normal it, and it, it won't hurt the baby. It's just it'll pass through you, and you'll be all right. So we decided, even though I was feeling really unwell, that um I'd get the ten week ultrasound anyway because all I had stuck in my head was listeria. What if I've contracted listeria? And <sighs> yeah, and, oh my goodness. And, and what if something's happened to the baby because I got listeria? And I started getting really worried. I was so unwell, but we went in for the scan anyway. And my husband came to this appointment. And so we really thought this was just a scan to reassure the over-anxious, panicky wife that everything's fine. And the lady was really nice. And she was, as she started performing the ultrasound, she was moving the wand and she's moving the wand. She's moving the wand. She was, she's kept moving the wand and she wasn't talking to us at all. And in this clinic, the camera wasn't facing us, like the screen of the computer. So we couldn't see what was going on. And she kept looking and looking and looking and looking. And then she decided to do it transvaginally because she couldn't find much with my stomach. And that's when I started to worry because I felt by 10 weeks, surely you would be able to find something through my, like the abdominal one. So she went transvaginally and still she, she refused to show us the screen. We're like, can we have a look? She's like, no, no, I didn't want to look at the screen. And then, yeah, she just said there's no heartbeat. And it looks like the baby stopped at six and a half weeks. Oh, my gosh, so, right after that first ultrasound. Brighter. Yeah, and we had no, like, absolutely no idea, no indication. I was still continuing with pregnancy and I was still getting better, uh, bigger. So my uterus was still growing and it was um, in the notes after my um, DNC that I had that, yeah, the uterus was 11 weeks. And so I continued to get bigger and feel my tummy get bigger and my pants were getting tighter. and But, um, yeah, I had no idea that that we'd had a miscarriage again. What was, as she said those
0: words, now you were probably feeling worried because she wouldn't turn the screen around, but when she said, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat, and it's the second time, what was Mm. your first thought? Do you remember?
1: I remember just looking at my husband because he'd um, had been having a really hard time with his dad struggling with cancer and his brother having cancer. And I just remember him being so excited about coming in and that this baby was such a happy thing for him. So I just remember just turning to him and he was, he just burst into tears. I I think the second time I was just completely numb the second time, totally numb. Like it just wasn't even happening.
0: Because Everyone says it doesn't
1: happen twice. That's it. The the doctor was, because I was so over the top in his doctor's surgery about everything that was happening. He's like, Rachel, the likelihood of you having two consecutive miscarriages are pretty low. So don't worry. This one's going to stick. You look fine. Everything's going fine. So I really felt like more confident with the second one because I'd had no signs. I'd had no pain. I had had no no spotting, Mm. nothing, nothing at all. And I really checked for the spotting. Every time I went to the toilet, I had a really good look and there was never, there was nothing. So then after that, we decided not to go to the hospital that night because we knew that the APAC was who we needed to see for all the equipment and ultrasounds. And we knew that they didn't open till 7am from our last hospital visit. So because I'd been so unwell and I really wasn't well, um, we decided to just go in first thing in the morning and just let me use the bathroom at home instead of the bathroom in the hospital. Um, So we went in first thing in the morning and they were really good. They took me straight in in immediately um, and uh, took a bit of blood to check different things, I guess, and my HCG levels. And I had to keep ducking off to go to the bathroom. And then one of the times I went to the bathroom when I wiped, there was blood. And so I was relieved. I felt I'm not going to have to get a DNC. I'm going to be able to pass this on my own. I feel really unwell and I just want to go home. Um, I won't need any tablets or anything. I'm going to do it naturally. But then with further investigation, I realised that it wasn't from my lady parts. It was because I was so unwell.
0: Oh, my God, you've been wiping
1: so much. (laughs) Yeah. No, well, I was passing blood. So then. Oh, my goodness. That's how sick I was. So I ended up being immediately um, admitted into hospital and given fluid bags. And that was when I was told they were not going to treat me for my miscarriage. They were going to treat me for whatever illness I had.
0: And what was it?
1: I had typhoid fever.
0: Oh my gosh. Had you been traveling?
1: Exactly. No. And is that a common thing in Melbourne? No, no. In Australia wide, I think about a hundred people a year get it. So it's horrifically rare. Wow. Yeah, so we went in and they took stool samples all that sort of stuff. But because I was so sick, um, I was admitted into the bowel ward and I was there for four days. Um, they completely ignored the fact that we'd had a miscarriage. We kept saying to them, can you call the, APAC, the EPAC team? Can you call the EPAC team? Can you tell them that we're here? I'm in the hospital. Can I just go see them? Because I knew that um, it would just keep dragging out until I would probably have to have a D&C and I just needed the ball to get rolling because I was just about to have a total emotional breakdown. And I was so tired because I'd been so sick um, and they just completely ignored it. We even had nurses asking me questions, trying to work out why I was bleeding. Like, um, have you been taking diet pills or excessive laxative use? Or and I'm like, no, because I'm pregnant. So it was like that the whole time. Like, have you been trying to lose weight or, no, no, I'm like, I'm pregnant. And one doctor asked, why are you crying? What's wrong with you? And I was like, I'm in here because I've had a miscarriage and you're not, you won't call the early pregnancy unit. Uh oh. So I, it was four oh, days. I'm so sorry. <sighs> yeah. They completely ignored it for f- four days. It was absolutely horrible. And I was put in a room on my own with a caution contact on the door So I was warned about visitors coming like I shouldn't have elderly visitors and everyone that came in had to wear gowns and gloves and masks and nobody was allowed to touch me. So what I found the saddest part with the second miscarriage was that um, nobody touched me. So no one hugged me. My husband didn't get to hug me. Oh, no. Yeah, even when we found out at the ultrasound and I pat my husband's back, he wanted to hold my hand but I was so worried Because I was so, I was incredibly sick. I didn't want, the doctor had said, don't be careful with contact with Andrew in case it is something viral that you can pass on. So we didn't hug, we didn't, nothing. So I was not touched for close to a month, about three weeks. So yeah, I was just in this room all alone with no cuddles. It was just the most lonely, heartbreaking time of my life, I think oh my gosh yeah wow yeah well when I was in hospital they said stool sample came back good news because I think they're worried maybe I had a bowel disease good news um it's just a type of salmonella poisoning was what they said in hospital I was like oh great and they said but oh, you'll still need extreme be- version <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly they're like but you'll still have to be treated with caution because um it is very contagious and I'm like fine so I got to about the four day mark and he was asking how I was feeling and I said look I really want to go – by then, the day before, the EPAC team had been contacted um, and this was Sunday. They were going to see me Tuesday. So I said, look, I just want to go home. Um, I want to have like a day at home before I go in and now deal with this next thing. And so he reluctantly let me go, which was nice of him. And um, I found out after it had all finished, I had the Department of Health call me and wanted to discuss it with me because they'd open an investigation because of my rare case of typhoid fever so they didn't even tell me that that's what it was
0: Hmm. okay so what does that mean like they're blaming you they're making you feel bad no no
1: so they're trying to figure
0: out how you got it
1: I mean that's definitely
0: part of it but
1: yeah yeah they're trying to figure out how I got it so they ask you a lot of questions, what you ate and everything. And, of course, they were asking things, did you eat like a hollandaise sauce and mayonnaise with eggs? And, of course, I'm going, well, no, 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 no. And then after about 10 minutes I said, well, I wasn't eating any of that stuff because I was pregnant. And they just went silent on the other end. And then she's like, can you bear with me while I go through all of your hospital records? And I'm like, okay, fine. So she comes back and she's like, okay, um, it says here that you had a D&C. What were your results from your D&C? And I said, what do you mean my results? I did a D&C. And she said, no, what were your, was there any lab testing? Did the lab testing come back with any bacteria in your uterus? And I said, no, they refused to do any testing unless I was, three miscarriages, which is a little bit cruel. And she said, so we can't say for sure if it was the typhoid fever that got into your uterus or not. I no, and I have no idea it hadn't even occurred to me until then that it could have been that and I said but the baby um, had stopped at about six and a half weeks and I wasn't sick until a few days before and she said you can carry the disease for yeah, it has a long a
0: incubation mm-hmm. yeah
1: so she said unfortunately I know that it might have been good for you to have answers but I can't put that down as that there has been a miscarriage due to this typhoid because um, they did no testing and she actually said the hospital should have because it was, um, I was, I don't know, um, like admitted in the hospital and they had diagnosed me with that in the same hospital that I had the DNC. So they said because they were treating you internally for everything, they actually should have um, tested for for any bacteria in the uterus. So that's a bit disappointing
0: yeah, it, it feels a little open-ended for you.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Now I, I wonder because it's funny. I was so careful about everything I ate and then I ate something wrong anyway, (laughs) but I'd like to know, is it, you know, I worry, is it something wrong with me that I keep having missed, missed, like miscarriages? Or is it, you know, maybe it was this time it was something I ate. Maybe that was the reason, but you know, it's really difficult just not knowing I was told the second time it's just an abnormality it's nothing that you did it's probably fine this happens and then you get the phone call and you know you really don't know what happened and it's really hard so
0: where are you at now mentally emotionally
1: yeah so now it's still
0: pretty recent I mean this was like a whole thing it probably took you till what February to feel better
1: Yes, I was quite sick for um, about a month. Um, I wasn't sure if me feeling so withdrawn and tired was like from the illness or because of the miscarriage. But this second one, I struggled um, really, really heavily with, um, I felt it was quite bad depression. I've always been very open to what you put out in the universe, you get back and that you know, it's the ebb and flow of life, good and bad things come and go and that one day the sun will shine for you again. But this time I just thought it's not going to shine again. It's never going to shine again. You know, I'm always going to feel like I'm in this dark hole and I'm just never going to come out. I just felt like life was totally hopeless and I couldn't shake it. And it was the way I felt this time was much, um, I'm trying not to cry, much deeper Um I was really negatively affected the second time. So I just knew if the first time was bad enough, I knew I was in for a a bit of a battle the second time. So we seeked um, counselling, yeah, which was really good. And I am still seeing my therapist, which is amazing because I've just found, you know, my struggle is that you go through the first 12 weeks and you're meant to keep that to yourself. But I've got to keep going to my full-time job and, you know, keeping up my full-time hours and feeling sick, like I want to vomit and I'm tired and you got to keep that a secret. And then you find out that you've miscarried and then you're meant to keep that a secret. And I just, I kind of call BS on that. I think it's so unfair that women and husbands, because, you know, my husband was unsure who to talk to about it. I just think it's so unfair and it's so poisoning for mental health. Like I really found like the first time I was so on my own until I started sharing with people um so we started seeing maria um we get free therapy in australia if you go to your doctor um you can get some forms filled out and you can get up to 10 th- uh, 10 free um therapy sessions so i started seeing a lady called um maria who is amazing um just a real spark um and i think my big turning point with her and this was my giant light bulb moment was I said the main thing I can't get past is all of my babies both of my babies all of their things fit in one shoebox, and it lives in the wardrobe and I can't get past that these two lives that meant so much to us that had such a big impact fit in this tiny shoebox that live in my wardrobe and I'm like I just I can't get past it and it just makes me so sad and my very vivacious Maria said, okay, for starters, it's not a shoe box, it's a memory box <laughs> and you should go out and buy two beautiful boxes, a box for each baby. So we had um, our Tiny Teddy was our first baby and our Jelly Bean was our second baby. They were their names. So she was like, go out and get Tiny Teddy and Jelly Bean, their own box, um, and put all of their beautiful things in there and all of their, you know, little ultrasounds and things in there. And she said that she recommended for me to do something in memory of each of the babies. She said something like a pot plant that you can care for or something that is a nice reminder of what they were to you and what they are to you. So I went and bought two really lovely boxes. I think I took about three hours in a gift shop to find these gift boxes. And we got home and um, my husband and I put everything out in the bed and put them away in each box. And I went to put them I'm trying not to cry. I went to put them back in the wardrobe and my beautiful husband said, no, 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 you can't put them in there. You need to leave them out on display. So my husband has put them up in our bedroom where they can be seen. (laughs) And we decided um, instead of buying pot plants because I'm not very good at gardening even though I'm a florist I'm terrible with um, plants they tend to die we decided maybe we wouldn't take the chance with the pop plants oh Uh, (laughs) yeah and we made um, angel suncatchers and we made them with the colors of each baby's birthstones so they're just little reminders in our window that cast little rainbows all over our bedroom of our little angels and it's nice because it feels like they're still there and they're just these two beautiful little angels. Yes, 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 yes. That was my big turning point. I'm still, I'm a little bit up and down, but that was the point where I felt like I don't need to hide this and it's okay that they're still there. And if I want, I, if I see anything, I still, can still collect it and put it in their little box or I can write them little letters or things that I'm thinking and I can put them in their boxes. I don't have to just because it's happened and the DNC's done and that feels so final doesn't mean that I have to shut the door and forget about it because I'm not going to. I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to have my little son catch angels and, and keep remembering them.
0: That's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I love it. Is there anything else you want
1: to share with us? Um, I've, I'd really like to share the importance, I think, of... Um, Just mental health miscarriages for not just the wives, but for the husbands too. Uh, My husband, such a good point. Yeah, my husband really struggled, and I think um, he felt like um, you know a lot of the burden is was on me, and a lot of the focus, you know, I guess naturally was on me. My husband really, 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 really struggled. He desperately wanted both babies, and he, you know, he's just been absolutely devastated and. He's really struggled with standing by and watching me continuously go through this and um, there's just nothing that he can do and he's had such a hard time. And I think, this, you know, we're getting a bit more focus on the women but I feel like there's next to no focus on the husbands at all and they've lost a little one as well and we actually go to group therapy, um, like a big group support group um, and in that support group, my husband really speaks up. So my husband tells the story and my husband talks about how he feels and he finds that to be a really um, great relief. And that's with SANDS, S-A-N-D-S, support group. Um, I'm not sure if you have them there in America, but they are Australian-wide. Um, I've got all of their contact numbers and email addresses um, and websites. And we go to that and my husband finds that that's the best. But I just feel people really need to talk if you talk to other people, it's like this whole world opens up of everyone's stories that they share with you. And my husband felt a lot of support from his um, work friends. Um, And even just that once you open with people, they know that there's something wrong. They know maybe why you're a bit uh, tired or quiet at work or withdrawn. And it's, um, yeah, just a really great way to appreciate your friends when you start talking to them and they can share back with you and they can really support you as well. I just think... It's such a shame if people feel that they have to be alone in this because they're just not. And I just think it's really unhealthy to just your general well-being. If you hide it and keep it all to yourself, I just think it's so sad. And people want to help. But when they don't know what's
0: wrong or they don't know what you need, they don't know how to help. So, yeah, you've made some
1: really good points to just speak up. Yeah, 100%. A couple of the girls at work were, you know, are you okay? Why are you so tired? You, you know, you're not feeling well. What's wrong? And sometimes, depending on who it was, I'd just, I'm just, i just having a bad day. I'm just having a bad day. And eventually, you know, I'd start sharing with the girls a bit more. And then it's just this whole support network. You've got them at work and at home and wherever you share It's It's incredible.
0: It's like the weight <laughs> suddenly gets distributed. It's not just
1: sitting oh. on you. Mm-hmm oh exactly and then when they share back with you you're not alone you right. you, you know and it's mind-blowing what these other women have gone through as well and, and they've probably it never spoke up so it's no. helping them as well that you're being vulnerable exactly these women that I've worked with and some of them I had no idea that they'd had miscarriage until until I started discussing it and they would say oh you know June last year I lost a baby and and then they'll tell you their story and you suddenly have this additional bond with a friend and that continues because i will continue to check on you. And then as you keep going through the process and I'm still going through the process, they're still there. And if you ever need anything or if, you know, when you are starting to feel a bit more upbeat or when you're then having another bad day, you can go and you've got that friend that you can talk to and they're so supportive because they understand they've, they've gone through it themselves. just feel like this has been part of my you know part of my healing like this just means so much to me I sharing is just so important
0: it is it is but it's not very easy so I just want to acknowledge that you've taken a huge step to do this to come on here and
1: record this I know it's not easy so thank you no thank you you're right when I booked it I thought oh my goodness what have I done (laughs) exactly (laughs) can I still cancel
0: yeah Yeah. I know (laughs) Interested in hearing more miscarriage stories? We have over 30 more episodes on Patreon. Check it out at patreon.com miscarriage. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash miscarriage. It's also linked in the details below. Stay connected. Find us on Instagram at managing.miscarriage. On Facebook at Miscarriage Nonprofit, and don't forget to download our free e-guide on our website, managingmiscarriage.com. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating so more women can find us. Also, listen to exclusive episodes directly on the Patreon app.